All right, all right, all right, all right, all right, all right. Here we go. Episode 8. Welcome, everybody. My name is Josh. Too many thoughts lately, so now I have to speak into my hot Blue Yeti mic. We got a hot mic, folks. We got a hot mic. And I got a lot to say. Most of it totally meaningless. But this could be a long one. Could be a long one. Which is kind of what podcasts should be. I don't understand when people say some podcasts are too long. You don't have to listen in one sitting. I understand if people say a movie is too long. I get that. Plenty of movies are 15 to 20 minutes too long because movies are intended to be watched in one sitting. Not this. Listen on a dog walk. Listen when you're washing dishes. Listen when you're folding laundry. Listen when you're stuck in traffic. But don't listen all at once. I don't want to risk you getting sick of me. No, no, not yet. Not in episode eight. Maybe episode 48, you'll get sick of me and say, you know something? It's run its course. I think I need a little more Terry Gross. Rosenberg, he started strong and now he's fading. But episode eight, don't get sick of this yet. Okay, I'm an addict for nostalgia. I've realized this lately. Where I resist anything new, every trend that I hear about, I go, ugh, that sounds awful. But in my day... And my day is basically the 90s. I don't know how this happened, where I'm the biggest 90s advocate, yearning for a better time. But my latest thought came from this. This idea of lip dubs. I work at a high school that's trying to accomplish a lip dub. It's lip syncing where you try to involve all of the students and the cameraman goes along the campus filming as everybody sings a part of the verse and there's spirit and there's costumes and there's confetti not sure about confetti but it looks good and this is what some high schools do to get exposure and recognition and it's cool it's a cool idea a lip dub you could see on youtube if you really want to and if you don't i basically just described it lip syncing Um, but the high schools pick one song one special song so i was thinking to myself all right go back to 1999 The year I graduated high school, what was hot? Of course, Tupac was hot. Of course, Snoop was big. Of course, Dre was big. Biggie was big. Biggie big. But I feel like the one voice that captivated my senior class was the wonderful Miss Lauren Hill. And of course, learned about her from Sister Act 2, I believe, which might be the only sequel that was better than the original Sister Act 2. But then the Fugees, which is just an outrageously talented group that broke up way too soon with Praz and John Forte and a guy named Wyclef. Why did I get to Wyclef third? Wyclef should have been the first name I said. And of course, Lauren Hill. And I even remember vividly the first time I ever heard the Fugees, that beautiful sound, my alarm clock back in high school. It wasn't your typical eh, 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 none of that bullshit. I used to wake up to 106.1 KMEL, Chewy, 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 Chewy Gomez. And 106.1 KMEL would go off at about 6.30 a.m., and I was ready for hip-hop that early. But on this special morning, maybe 1998, it was strumming my pain with his fingers. It was Lauryn Hill, killing me softly, beautiful. And I woke up, and I was in a good mood, and it stayed with me all throughout the day. And this is before you could just Google, what song did I hear this morning? And I was talking to people, did you hear KML this morning? What was that song? Strumming my pain, killing me softly with this song. And I think one of my buddies was ahead of the game musically and said, that's the Fugees. That's the Fugees. So I bought the album, The Score. Fast forward to today, thinking about what song would represent a senior class or a high school. Of course, 
I can't just pick one Fuji song or one Lauren Hill song. It'd be tough, but it was kind of the sound of my high school experience. Happy music, talented musicians, not just rappers, but full-blown musicians. Lauren Hill, Wyclef, John Forte. And so just this morning when I was on the treadmill, humble brag, I get on the treadmill sometimes, I started listening to the Fugees and it's still good. So I thought, what are some things we remember from back in the day that we have glorified to the point where it's just so timeless and it's so wonderful still and it actually holds up? The Fugees hold up. The Fugees are going to sound good when I'm 80 years old, but not everything does. Actually, a lot of the things that I remember being really great from back in the day aren't. And this happens with food, certain restaurants I remember. Now I go and it's just disgusting. I go, why did I love it so much? Like when I was growing up, a trip to the Sizzler was the best. With that cheesy bread and all-you-can-eat popcorn shrimp, soft-serve ice cream, that buffet. Mmm. Would I enjoy it today? First, I would have to find a Sizzler, but probably not. And I remember Sizzler, when you would walk in, they would say smoking or non, and there was really no divide. There was really no delineation, no boundary from the smoking section and the non-smoking section. And who are these fucking people that need to smoke at the table? Right at the table. Could you imagine today with your cheesy bread and ashtray for your Pall Mall unfiltered? Disgusting. But I got used to it. As an 80s child, you get used to the smoke wafting into the non-smoking section which is why my life will be shortened. Thank you, Sizzler. But another place I remember being really good growing up, the best, the Roast House. Roast House? How am I I pronouncing that? Roast House? Halls? German Hofbrau? I thought it was like the greatest meat, the greatest roast beef, corned beef, turkey. I went within the last year. It was the worst meal. Just disgusting. So, of course, memories can become bright And memories hold a place in our brain where it makes you think certain things were better than they actually were. But not the Fugees. The Fugees hold up. And Lauryn Hill, still my favorite voice. And I love all the stories where she's mean, sassy, crass, upset, storms off stage. It all adds to the rock star allure of Miss Lauryn Hill. And if I'm jogging your memory to a happy place, go to YouTube and just type in Lauryn Hill Live Concert Japan 1999. And because I'm assuming you have about an hour and a half just of downtime, you know, that hour and a half you can always find in your life, watch the full concert. She's a dynamo. She's a virtuoso of the microphone. I'm running out of fun adjectives, but she was just unbelievable. So I'm going to have my own lip dub and I'm going to release it on YouTube and there's going to be 14 likes. And I think I'm going to pick, what should I pick? Hmm. Oh, yeah. You're just too good to be true. Can't take my eyes off of... I'm really trying to sing right now. Lauren's cover of Frankie Valli's Can't Take My Eyes Off of You, The Four Seasons. There it is, the best cover of all time. Tell me, what's a better cover than that? Like I said, Sister Act 2, the only sequel to any movie I can remember being better than the original, and Lauren Hill's cover of Can't Take My Eyes Off of You, the only song where I think the cover is better than the original. Oh, pretty baby. Have you turned it off yet? Please don't. Stay with me. 
But this topic is fun to explore. Think about all of the things you liked when you were about 10, 11, 12, 13, 14 years old. From food to movies to TV to clothes. And then think, how about today? Would you still enjoy it? Would you still like it? Like The Three Amigos. I think that was my favorite movie at one point. If I watch The Three Amigos today, do I laugh once? Do I like it? Or is it just that fuzzy, warm place in the mind where history is stored? Fun history. Bugle Boy. Overalls. Reeboks. Would I still like this outfit? Yeah, actually, that sounds pretty good. Hammer. MC Hammer. I think that's my first memory of rap. Maybe run DMC because my sister had the vinyl, but really, MC Hammer, getting the tape, you can't touch this, not realizing that was a Rick James beat. Does that still sound good to me? I don't know. I haven't heard MC Hammer in a long time, but it probably wouldn't. It would probably sound hokey and corny and tacky. And I'd listen and I'd think, how did I love this so much? Like, I took Hammer very seriously. With those parachute pants and the sunglasses and the cardigan unzipped. I really thought, Hammer, this is fine music. This is a timeless sound. New Kids on the Block used to rock my world. Listening it to it today is a joke, right? When people go see New Kids in concert, like people in their 30s and 40s, it's for joke purposes, right? It's like that funny territory of we'll probably kind of still like it but then laugh at the fact that we are there in attendance at a new kids on the block concert which i heard was on tour with boys to men are you kidding it's 2018 right now and that was an actual tour within the past year new kids on the block yes danny donnie joe john jordan had their christmas album i had their christmas cd and boys to men coolie high harmony unbelievable All right, moving on. Because Stephen Hawking died, I had a thought. I'm going to share my thought. Now, I did see the movie where Eddie Redmayne won Best Actor at the Oscars for playing Stephen Hawking, and I enjoyed it. Loved the movie. And I started to learn a little bit about Stephen Hawking, not to the point where I actually wanted to understand his findings and his career in astrophysics, but just enough. It was a good little biopic where I got to understand Stephen Hawking how he lived, who he married, and then who he married again. But I thought to myself, it would be impressive if I could just learn a few things from his book. And we have his book on our shelf. My wife has it. I should not claim that. My wife actually has the Stephen Hawking book about studying black holes. And I literally tried to read one page and couldn't. I know that's an indictment on my intelligence. So I'm just here. Uh, I thought this was a judge-free zone, a judgmental-free zone, so I'm just going to say I couldn't make it through one page of the book. It started to actually hurt my brain. But what if I did? What if I read the whole book and then just knew a few things and then started to regurgitate that out to the world as if I now have a grasp on astrophysics and black holes? Well, I think that is a little nugget of what we do see on TV nowadays. There's too many channels now. Too many channels that rely on so many experts that are not experts. They've just read a book. They've heard somebody else say something, and then they recite it. They regurgitate it. They spit it out from their own mouths, and they say it very seriously and in a matter-of-fact tone. And one of the thousand channels that I have calls them an expert, a pundit, a master of the topic. There's actually a small percentage of people who are truly mastering the topics they describe. A lot of us novices are kind of just hearing a few things here and a few things there, reading narratives that fit our bias, and then we just talk about it. I think there was a theory like called the chauffeur and the expert theory where Albert Einstein, 
obviously a genius, if he was going to recite his speeches in the limousine as his chauffeur drove him from location to location, then after a few years, the chauffeur would have enough information to kind of recite it and sound like Einstein. If you spend that much time around him, if you read his books, then all of a sudden you can start getting some of the credit. And I'm talking about music shows, sports shows, news shows, political shows. There are endless experts out there. How many of these fucking people are actually experts? Or are they hearing one thing, reading one thing, and then extrapolating that like they really understand a topic? I think there it is. Bitter Josh with his new pet peeve. But with all these channels, how are they finding enough people to fill the time? The answer is they're not. They're frauds. These are people in costumes spitting stuff they've already heard. I want to hear some original thoughts. I want to hear some innovative thinkers, true insight. There's not a lot of that. You can find it more in the podcast world if you sift enough. But just an average television show? When did ESPN become such dog shit? Most of the guys on ESPN, even, you know, analyzing a draft, analyzing the March Madness tournament, analyzing the NBA season, a lot of these guys are saying things that are not that interesting. And maybe there it is. I yearned for the time when I was growing up where I felt like the experts were truly interesting. Like the sounds of Lauren Hill. It all connects. Maybe it's just my mind goes back to a place a nostalgic place where I go, you know what? The experts on TV, because there were less channels and less outlets, they were real experts. And today it's a bunch of filler. There it is. I've arrived at a point. That's the point I'm deciding to make. And I don't even think that had anything to do with Stephen Hawking, but rest in peace, died at 76. What a life. What a brain. What a mind. As his body deteriorated from the disease, his mind was untouched. I think it's just one of the most astounding stories. Okay, I'm going to set the scene right now. I'm sitting here between games. It's Saturday. It's raining. Between March Madness games, my bracket is still intact. And I know a lot of you just want me to sit here and talk about my bracket because that's really entertaining stuff. But I'm not going to do that. But it all came crashing down already. On Thursday night, my San Diego State Aztecs with a chance to win at the buzzer. And Trey Kell 3 bounces off the rim. And the season is done. Just like that. Houston wins led by Rob Gray, the guy with the man bun that was becoming famous for scoring 60% of his team's points. That's an insane stat. He dropped 39 on us. So the Aztecs did not lose to Houston. The Aztecs lost to Gray. And this was the first tournament appearance in the post-Steve Fisher era. If you don't know who Steve Fisher is, he was the coach of the Fab Five at Michigan. And going back further than that, he took over midseason for the great championship Michigan team. With Glenn Rice and Ramil Robinson and Terry Mills, the powerhouse in Ann Arbor. So immediately wins a title. And then he and his assistant back then, who's now the head coach of the Aztecs, Brian Dutcher, recruited the incredible class of Weber, Juwan Howard, Jalen Rose, Jimmy King. Who's the fourth or the fifth? I forget. But just like so many coaches, a scandal arrives in Michigan. Steve Fisher becomes a part of the controversy, and he just exits out the back door. And then his name resurfaces in 1999 at San Diego State when I arrived at San Diego State. So being a big sports fan, I thought, this is wonderful. I knew nothing about Aztecs basketball outside of Michael Cage with the most beautiful Jerry Curl. And I thought, all right, the Aztecs have a coach. I knew nothing about the culture of college basketball in San Diego when I first arrived, but I knew I was going to attend the games. I figured they got an arena. It was called Cox Arena back then, now Viejas Arena, but it was exciting. At least in my head, it was exciting. Steve Fisher from the Fab Five is on the Mesa. And I remember going the first time, and I couldn't even get a friend from the dorms. I went alone. How sad is this? 
I went alone. Steve Fisher's probably first month ever coaching the Aztecs back in 99. And the arena probably has the capacity to fit over 12,000 people. There were about 70 humans. I'm counting the ushers, actually. There were probably 50 humans and 20 ushers. And it was quiet. Very quiet. They had a backcourt featuring a guy named David Abramowitz and another guy named Jeff Burkhoff or something. So that's not good. That's not good. Burkhoff, a white guy at the two guard. And I'm pretty sure they got smashed. I forget who they were playing by. 40 points. I stayed till the end, though, and sat alone, had my popcorn, and realized I had just witnessed the least exciting sporting event in the history of the world. But there was Steve Fisher. And I figured it can't remain this way. That's Steve fucking Fisher. He recruited Chris Webber. This is a great recruiter. Not realizing that his silent assassin recruiter on the bench, Brian Dutcher, would one day take over. Well, yada, 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 they do start recruiting. Guys start transferring to San Diego State. Fisher eventually gets them into the tourney, stays there 18 years. They did get to one Sweet 16 with Kawhi Leonard, who's now an injured star with the Spurs. I'm not going to go too in-depth naming all the players that I've loved throughout the years at San Diego State, but they went from a dormant program, a joke, a doormat of a program, to all of a sudden the most exciting student section, at least on the West Coast, Maybe the nation. Let me use hyperbole. Let me just exaggerate because, hey, it's my podcast. Why the fuck not? So, the greatest student section in America. But the game I went to in 1999, there was nobody in the student section. Me and maybe a couple of the cheerleaders' boyfriends. uh, That's about it. And then you fast forward a little bit to their first tournament appearance. Led by Randy Holcomb, the power forward. DeAndre Moore was the point guard. Myron Epps still on the team. I'm just going to rattle off a bunch of names most of you don't know. Al Fox, I think. I think. Yeah, I'll stay with that. F-A-U-X, by the way, if you're Googling. Al Fox. F-A-U-X. Not foe. Fox. And they won the conference tournament, advanced to the big dance where they got blown out by Illinois, but that marked the moment where it started to change. And something beautiful happened in the student section. They became the anti-student section. Most student sections involve everybody doing the same cheer at once, wearing the same colored shirt, you know, very uniform, very unified, all together at once, jumping up and down. The Aztec student section, which is now called The Show, it's just a bunch of ragtag motherfuckers wearing whatever they wanted. One guy in a frog costume, one guy in a Lucha Libre mask, one guy with a big sombrero, one guy with a mohawk, one guy dressed like a clown. Didn't matter. That became the theme, that it was not a consistent theme, that everybody was a little different. And I think this bitterness from being a losing program for so long started to create energy and spirit and excitement. And the student section would grow and grow and grow to the point where it was standing room only for many years. And they would storm the court at times. It just became something wonderful. So this week, with a little March Madness in the air, I thought I'd go down memory lane with the Aztecs, although they did break my heart. When Trey Kell missed that three, and uh, we lost. I want to say lost at the buzzer. I think we lost at the buzzer. Rob Gray hit a layup with a second left, and then we had a chance to win at the buzzer. So yeah, we lost at the buzzer. I quietly, you know, not to scream in front of the baby, I quietly, on a rainy night, opened up the sliding glass door, walked outside in my socks, looked out into the distance, did not shed a tear, Took five deep breaths. <gasps> oh, yeah. Gave myself the this is just sports speech. There's always next year. And then walked back in. And I was a human. 
Yeah, a little somber, but that's what maturing means. That's what maturation is all about. Yeah, I didn't punch a hole through the wall. I didn't get that upset. Barely even expected to be in the tournament. So yeah, appreciation on display. I do have one old man Rosenberg thing to point out, though, in sports altogether today. Why so many jerseys? Why does every team have like six different colors, six different patterns, six different logos, so many different schemes? We have basketball players now wearing short sleeve jerseys and then tank top jerseys and V-neck jerseys and circle neck jerseys. And we have Purim jerseys and St. Patty's Day jerseys. And we have Halloween jerseys and Chinese New Year jerseys. And we have jerseys for Sunday nights and we have jerseys for Monday games. Too much. I don't need it. I'm a purist. I'm a traditionalist. I like the Boston Celtics. I like the boring, traditional uniforms. Can't stand this amount of fonts and color schemes. And I understand the bottom line is to sell, sell, sell as much merchandise as you can. I get it from a marketing and business standpoint. I get it. But from a fan standpoint, I just want to see the Warriors in white when they're at home and in blue on the road. And if you want to do one turn back the clock night a year, just one throwback a year, that's fine. That's cool. I could appreciate the cable car jersey once a year. But it seems like it's always turned back the clock night. All these teams, you know, they kind of take an old logo and then they make it modern. That never looks good to me. Either go full throttle with the old logo or go with your new logo. But don't do a modern version of your old logo and then seven different colors of it. Like Penn State football. Penn State football, I like it. The most boring but traditional. They don't need to wear black jerseys. Even when the Lakers wear their white jerseys on Sundays, I don't like it. They wear yellow at home. They should wear yellow at home. Why am I so serious about uniforms? I don't know. I don't even buy jerseys. I don't even understand why people buy jerseys. I actually don't. I like shirts. I like hats. I like hoodies. But why are grown men buying jerseys? Button-down baseball jerseys? I guess to wear to games. I get that. But basketball jerseys? What if I just bought a... Clay Thompson, number 11, Warriors jersey. When am I going to wear it? Is it just to tell people? I got a Clay Thompson jersey? I think it is. I think it's to tell people. Oh, yeah, in my closet right now, collecting dust, I got a Clay Thompson jersey. You almost thought I would go the whole podcast without my classic snoring sound effect. There you go. Rosenberg delivers. I do have one jersey, though. It all connects. I do have a Chris Webber Warriors jersey. After his days at Michigan, and I mean few days at Michigan before he called the timeout against North Carolina, I got a white Warriors Weber jersey from 94 before he and Don Nelson became bitter enemies. Bitter enemies. Like Virgil and Ted DiBiase. You remember Virgil? He was Ted DiBiase's manager, the Million Dollar Man. And then Virgil and Ted DiBiase, the Million Dollar Man, became enemies. They went from friends to enemies. That is the story of Weber and Don Nelson, which I will save for a future podcast because I know you're on the edge of your seat right now. Wait, what do you know about Weber and Don Nelson? Oh, I know about Weber and Don Nelson. And I could also talk more about Virgil and how he tried to have a solo career with his pink glittery vest. But no, no, no. Virgil needed to remain in the corner with the million dollar man, made a big mistake, made a big old fucking mistake. I have no clue what I was talking about. I need some coffee right now. Oh yeah, why so many jersey styles in sports? That's a decent rant, huh? And why the moving camera on sports shows? 
Like if you watch ESPN with Scott Van Pelt, why is the camera always slowly moving around the studio, giving me vertigo? Even on the local CSN Bay Area, or whatever they call it, NBC Bay Area, why is the camera slowly moving throughout their studio shows? How about we plant that camera down, huh? Huh? I'm just going to call this podcast The Complaining Hour. But there's one thing I won't complain about, and that is Ladybird. That is a transition, folks. I did see Ladybird. I'm going to slowly see all of the movies that were nominated for Best Picture at the Academy Awards, and I'm going to slowly report on all of them. So up to this point, I only saw Get Out. I liked Get Out. It was a B plus. Let's not get carried away, okay? I know it was a nice story. I know it was Jordan Peele's first script. Let's not get carried away and call it an A plus. It wasn't The Godfather. It was just pretty good. And the fact that it was getting all the Oscar hype makes it a little overhyped. But it was good. A B plus is not a bad grade, as I can prove to you on my college transcripts. But Lady Bird's an A minus. I'm going to use grades. As a teacher, I'm going to give it a 90% A minus. Why not the full A? Because it was a little predictable. I felt like they took a lot from Juno, which was a better movie about a high school girl who's kind of an outcast, but still really likable and cool and edgy. So Lady Bird, she goes to a Catholic school in Sacramento, doesn't get along with her mom, Lori Metcalf, and you as the viewer kind of want them to get along, but you understand she's a teen and doesn't always get along with her mom. And her dad's really sweet, and he's depressed and unemployed, but he's always still sweet to his kids. It's good. It's good. There's laughs. There's laughs. But the end. Here is why I liked it. Here's what stayed with me in Lady Bird. And if you haven't seen it, and now it's mid-March, it's almost late March, uh, then I don't even have to say spoiler alert. If you haven't seen Lady Bird, you're probably not going to. And this isn't even a spoiler. But she is a senior in high school in Sacramento, and the idea of staying local at one point sounds awful to her. And I see this all the time. Teens who get bored in their hometown. They hate it. They go, there's nothing to do. This place sucks. And when the idea of going to UC Davis was brought up to Lady Bird, she said, fuck UC Davis, that agricultural school. Hell no, I'm going to New York. I want to go to a liberal arts school in New York. Hasn't even visited New York, but just the idea of New York. Hey, New York, the glitz and glamour of the Big Apple sounded so good to Sarce, Sarce Ronan, an Irish girl who's doing an American accent perfectly throughout the movie. Sarce with an Arce. And then Sarce, whose name is Lady Bird in the movie, and it's actually not Lady Bird, I think it's Christine, but she goes to New York eventually, and then there's a flashback scene of a montage of all these little things around her neighborhood in Sacramento that she kind of started to appreciate, and she kind of started to miss. And that touched my heart. Because it's true. A lot of us who get bored in our hometowns growing up and maybe move to another city that's more popping, more exciting, more entertainment, more lively, we do start to yearn for those old memories. The little sandwich shop you liked, Scotty's. The little pizza place you liked, Lococos. The little movie theater you used to go to, Regency. The old driving range, McInnes. You know, just areas you used to hike where you learn to ride a bike, all these little things you could tell that Lady Bird was starting to miss and appreciate, but sometimes you got to get out of the nest to appreciate any of that. And it wasn't like a big montage of fun things around Sacramento. It was like a bridge, a tree, a laundromat, a convenience store. It was a cool scene. And then by the end of the credits, I felt a little emotional, not lump in my throat, but just emotional enough to have that, like, I embrace my family moment. You know, a movie should leave you feeling something. At least an Oscar-nominated movie. Have not seen The Shape of Water. I'll probably watch that next. 
three billboards in Billings, Billy, Missouri, wherever that is. Want to see it? And then I'll report back to all nine of you that listen to this. Don't you worry. My late Oscar reviews are coming your way. Okay, I'm fading. I realize I'm getting tired. I need to hit that couch. I want some hot coffee. But before that, I'm warming up to my profound thought of the day. And this is going to be profound. So buckle up. Actually, sit down for this. Sit down. If you're standing listening to this podcast, I'm going to take a moment and let you sit down. Okay, you ready? Here we go. But I had this thought throughout the week, and it created some insomnia. So I wrote it down and thought, yeah, I'll talk about this on Saturday when I record. In the rain. Actually, I'm indoors, but watching the rain. Of course you knew that. Why would you think I'm recording in the rain? But just staring out the window right now, very meditative, very peaceful. As I ramble at you. Okay, so as we progress through life, stay with me. You got to stay with me with the profound thoughts. You can't lose interest. As we progress through life, huh? a lot of shitty things happen to us. A lot. Little things. Not like big traumatic things, but just a little breakup here. Maybe you get in a fight there. Maybe you get rejected from a job there. You know, things that happen to everybody. But as they happen to you, some people tend to put up walls. We've all heard that term. You put up walls. You've been emotionally scarred too many times, so you put up walls. And you go, I'm never going to deal with that again. I'm never going to put myself in a position to deal with that again. I'm going to try to avoid negative people. As if that's possible. I love when people say that. I'm going to avoid negative people. Good luck. Good luck. Build that cave. There's negative people in the world. You can't avoid them. But everybody has a strategy for how they're going to navigate through life and avoid all the horse shit that makes us feel bad. However, as we put the walls up, you put walls up, you start to build scar tissue around your heart. It can also cause you to block out the joy unintentionally. You didn't realize that, did you? This is what I've learned, that as we put up walls intentionally to protect ourselves, those walls can also block out the joy. So this kind of goes back to a previous thought of you got to embrace all of it. And I had a couple things happen this week that caused me to just get so pissed and so bummed out and so sad. Just a couple of little things. And then I tried so hard to ask myself, what can you learn from this? And the idea is that it'll pass, but to also experience it and face it. Don't shy away from it. Because if you do successfully shy away from it, then it could oddly, unintentionally, cause you, psychologically, to shield happiness. Some people don't realize that they have built mechanisms to shield happiness. And I don't want that to happen, but there have been times where I could see that it's happened. Because on the flip side, you would never tell somebody to limit the joy. Yeah, when you're experiencing joy, don't get swept away in it. People want to get swept away in joy. But unfortunately, sometimes... You can't. You can't just go back and rewire yourself. Not to say we become less happy as we age throughout life. I think there's a lot of happy adults. But there may be one element to losing a little bit of that natural joy as you get older because you're spending more of your time wondering how to keep the bullshit out of your life. You spend a lot of time wondering how to just keep the negativity away. And in the meantime, you might not realize that it's more difficult to embrace the positives because you're playing some games with your heart. All right, I don't know if that's the right thing to say at the end, but here's my final thought on that. Aging causes a lot of people to get depressed. Aging. And then even watching your parents age or your grandparents age becomes sad. 
Even for me, I know when I see somebody who's about 85 years old walking through the farmer's market, a part of me gets sad. I don't really know why. This person might have lived a very happy life, and they may be happy in that moment. But when I just see someone elderly, it gives me a little jolt of sadness. So I realized I am never going to get sad about myself aging. And here's why. Because I'll develop wisdom every step of the way. I'll just keep getting smarter. This is what I'm going to tell myself. Or I shouldn't say smarter, but just more wisdom. More experience gives you a more worldly view gives you a better perspective. You start to learn more. You can manage relationships a little better, maybe even become less impulsive, increase your awareness. All these things I wasn't at age 15, at age 20, at age 25, even at age 30. So now age 36, I'll say, good, let me age. I'm loving it. I don't want to age too quickly, but I'm not going to resist. I'm not going to be one of those people who just doesn't tell people their real age and doesn't celebrate their birthdays. Wisdom is the gift. That's what you get. Sure, you get uglier, you get fatter, your hair gets gray. I get all that. It'll come with the territory. We're all getting uglier as well as we age, but we increase our wisdom. All right, that'll do it for episode eight in terms of the weird content I'll give you. But here's my preview. For the future, I would like to have two guests come in. Actually, no, I'm planning to have two guests come in separately. Number one, a guy I work with named Peter Ornstein. He was one of the CNN directors, news directors back in the day. He's been out to war zones and battlefields to cover news and produce news. It's amazing. If you ever see a 60 Minutes piece where the correspondents go out to Fallujah or Afghanistan or Iraq, it's insane to think what journalists endure. Now, we know what soldiers endure, but to think the journalists that cover it, they got to be fearless and courageous. I work with a guy at Novato High School. He's the film teacher. Wonderful guy. Peter Ornstein, I'm going to get on this podcast and just pick his brain because he's insightful, engaging. He could talk about anything. I'm getting him on this. And also, you remember the old drummer for Earache My Neck? Nope, you don't. Do you remember the drummer for Tom's Pharmacy? Oh, really? You don't? How about Judgment Day? Yeah, you do. Heavy metal rocker. John Bush is going to come into the studio as well, hopefully in the month of March, maybe early April. But that's a little menu for the future. That's a little preview of what's to come. All right, I got to watch some March Madness. You can follow me on Twitter at jrosenberg957. You can leave a review on iTunes if you like this nonsense. And you can check out my book, Suddenly Facing Reality, on Amazon. Enjoy your day. Episode 8 is now in the books. I'll talk to you soon.